Blog Talk Radio. This is not an ad, it's an invitation. Join Minister Rosalind Solomon each week on the new podcast, The Prophetic Mantle Radio Show. She talks about spiritual wellness and other inspirational subjects that will brighten up your day. Hey, and while you're at it, make sure you add her music to your playlist. Inspirational music by Rosalind Solomon and The Prophetic Mantle Radio Show, Food for the Soul. Music and podcast now available on Spotify. Welcome to the Prophetic Mantle Radio Show with your host, Apostle Rosalind Solomon. Every Tuesday, 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, come learn the mystery of God and be blessed in Jesus' name. Everyone 
you know, learn from what I'm about to teach. You know, I bind up the atmosphere and the environment so that no wickedness can interfere. And I thank God for the heavenly host that is around to watch over me and protect me and all the callers who are truly of the Lord. If you are not, you need to come. I bind up all witches and witchcraft, chanting, cursing, witch language, whatever you try to do. It is bind up, it is rebuked, it is rejected. I take you off of your assignment, I knock you off your throne, and I cancel out your assignment with the bloody issue, and I cut you forth from it. And I ask the angels to take you to the feet of the Messiah, Yahushua HaMashiach, for your judgment in Yeshua's name. All right, so now, how to minister to human spirits. Now, our first encounter with ministering to the human spirits a lot of people minister to the human spirit in ignorance. They don't know. They have good intentions and the grace of God, but some people really don't know how to minister to the human spirit. The way to learn how to minister to the human spirit is to really know the Word of God. The Word of God is your sword. The Word cuts through bone marrow, fat, flesh, soul, cuts through everything, right? So that's your number one thing, to learn the Word, right? Then you have to learn how to engage the spirit. You have to learn to legitimize the spirit. You have to learn to instruct the spirit as the way the Messiah would. And occasionally you may have to direct the person, you know, as far as their spirit. You may have to direct them. Now, engaging the, engaging the spirit. In normal interactions between people, the soul carries on the dialogue. Our basic approach is simply to speak to the person's spirit calling it to attention and inviting the spirit to come forth, right? So now, we then speak to the soul, asking it to step aside and allow us to dialogue directly with the spirit. See, the soul is part of the flesh, and the soul is also your emotions, right? And your brain as well. It has your five senses, right? So... If the person's wallowing in sin, that means that the soul is basically the one that has taken over the person because the soul is part of the flesh. So you have to get the soul to to commit to the spirit. But when you're talking to a person about the word of God and you're trying to bring them to God, you have to first speak to the spirit to bring the spirit forth because the spirit is supposed to be the dominant force. Then you have to speak to the soul and say, look, you got to move over. You know, your, your your fleshy time is up. You have to move over, right? So then after you do that, while this seems incredibly simplistic, after some of the um, convoluted things we learn while doing inter-healing and deliverance, it has been effective for many people, right? Maybe 60, maybe 50, 60% of the people who who I've talked to, in this matter, you know, about the Lord, I, I would say maybe even more than that. I, I can still count on my hands, praise God, how many people kind of reject me. And then they didn't even reject me, they reject God. But they didn't even really reject God. They were sweet and they were kind to me. You know, they weren't mean. You know, they were like, I'm going to go home and think about it, you know, that kind of thing. But most of the time when I speak to people, the Lord will have them cry. <laughs> you know, after I talk to them, they want to hug me, they want to kiss me. Their lives have changed. When I run into them again, they remember me, and I've forgotten who they are, and they tell me how their lives have changed. You know, so this type of engagement in the spirit really works. Some people's spirit must be spoken to several times before it fully engages. 
Like, you may, you know, be preaching to somebody the first time and it hasn't engaged. The spirit is because the soul man is not allowing the spirit to come forth, right? So you may have to preach to them a couple of more times or who knows, a little more before they come to you, you know? Um, it's like when you first talk to a person, it's like you call their spiritual attention. What happens is when you first talk to them and you don't get any leeway with them as far as, you know, committing to God and so forth like that, you have at least called their spirit uh, to attention. You have at least planted that seed that can root up in the spirit to bring the, make the spirit strong because the word of God is a seed that makes the spirit strong and it brings the spirit forth, right? Um, it's like it's coming through a long corridor, you know, and, like, after, you know, a couple of years of being that way and stuck in the corridor, it's like you're helping the spirit to come out of the corridor, you know. It's like um, it's like the person's spirit was literally waiting for you, and I preach that a lot. You know, there's a lot of spirits out here. They can sense who the children of God are, and you can walk past a person, right, and they're, and they're fleshy side will not even sense who you are, but that spirit within them can. And that spirit is literally calling out to you. And if you're not spiritually inclined or inclined to the spirit of God, you won't know what a spirit is longing to call to you for help, to help bring that person that's carrying that spirit right to the light of God. So this is why you got to be spiritually inclined, you know, and very close to God to sense these things, you know. So now, with some training, you know, you can learn these things, right? An individual who is experienced at ministering to people, spirit will get distinct response from other people's spirit upon initial contact. Most spirits do not respond immediately, but they react fairly quickly to such a basic approach. You know, only a few are so deeply wounded that they resist your conversation. Now, there is some people out there, excuse me, who are uh, who are like very, very wounded, and those may be a little harder to get to. So you would have to like literally pray and sometimes even fast for people. I mean, more God's children should fast more for people. And what I mean by that is this, if if you, you, you never know when God's going to have you out there evangelizing, you know, preaching to somebody, whatever, whatever. You don't have to be a leader in the ministry to do that, because since the Ephesians, we are all ministers of the gospel, right? So, like, I tell people all the time, you should fast at least one day a week, you know, or more, if the Holy Spirit leads you, you know what I mean? But you shouldn't let a week go by without doing some kind of fast. I mean, you could do, like, you can go to bed, like, 9, 10 o'clock and fast till 12 in the afternoon. You know what I mean? Or you could just do an 8 to 2 or a 6 to 6 or a 3 to 7, you know, 8, 12-hour fast. But you could do a 24-hour day fast if you want with nothing or just water, juice, vegetables, fruit. It's, you know, it's whatever the Holy Spirit leads you. But all children of God should fast at least once out of a week or more because, you don't know who God's going to lead you to speak to. You don't know who God's going to put in your path. And by you fasting, that strengthens you and reinforces the things of God in you. And it gives you power against the enemy. You know, God says we're supposed to be watchmen on the wall, and we're supposed to be um, prepared at, at, at all times, you know. And so how do you be prepared at all times? You learn the word of God. You know, you keep it as a tablet on your heart like God put the 613 commandments on the tablet 
you keep God's word as a tablet on your heart, and you also keep it pinned in your brain, you know, and then you fast. And, you know, when let and, and you and you have a very intimate relationship with God, and you you pray more than um, thirty minutes in a day. <laughs> I mean, really, you know, those are some of the steps. Now, legitimizing the spirit. The first step of legit legitimation. Excuse me. Legitimation <laughs> has already taken place by the time you speak directly to the spirit and differentiate it from the soul. The spirit is accustomed to benign negligence and to being lumped together with the soul. Acknowledgement is a huge thing. And like I teach all the time, the soul is intertwined with the spirit, right? They're in the same area. It's just, the spirit is, is bigger and the soul is within the, the belly of the, of the spirit, right? So this is why it's all, it's a battle between the soul and the spirit constantly, right? But what it is, like I taught the other day on, on my YouTube channel, that um, the soul is what makes the um, the flesh and the spirit battle, because the soul is more inclined to the to the to the flesh, you know, and that's how the enemy can enter us. He can only enter one way through the soul, and then he has to come out seven other ways because he can't come out of the soul. Because the soul wouldn't be able to handle it. Because for every demon that comes in, he comes in with a, comes in with a hundred to twenty five thousand, a legion. So can you imagine all those demons coming out of your soul at one time? It would not be good for you. So this is why they gotta leave seven ways, right? So you, you know you have to teach your soul how to be obedient to the spirit. And then when you're evangelizing and preaching to people, you have to take authority and command over that soul that they have to prevent that soul from making the flesh flare up against the spirit, preventing the spirit from coming out and receiving what the spirit needs to receive, and so that the strength of the spirit can grow and overpower the flesh. Once the flesh is overpowered, then the soul and the spirit could get along. Now, imagine this. The first is of your being in, like, a supermarket, Right? And somebody you know real good walks right by you, looks at you, and keeps keeps on going without, you know, saying hi or acknowledging you. You know they saw you, but they ain't saying nothing. you like, what up? What's going on with that, right? Then, then you're like, you know, you feel like you're being annoyed, you know. Uh, you're being annoyed or you're being ignored, you know. And it hurts you, right? And it's like they took your legitimacy away from them, Right? So, and the other thing, you are, you know, with a group of people. And um, the guest of honor, whom you've only known slightly, goes out of their way to seek you out, to greet you, to greet you in front of people, to affirm you as their friend, right? And you feel highly legitimized by the attention you got. This is what we aim to do for the spirit. Because you have to understand, my people of God, the spirit does not get legitimized. The spirit does not get legitimized. It's the soul that always get legitimized. It's the flesh that always get legitimized. So when you bring the word of God to somebody, you are literally legitimizing the spirit. And that will bring the spirit forth because the spirit is looking to be legitimized. Now, the second step is to speak to the spirit about essence. The human spirit is made of light, the same kind of light that God, Yahweh, is made of. 
When one candle lights another, the first candle is not diminished, and the second candle has the same kind of light as the first one. Each of our spirits was designed by God before the foundation of the world and was made from the same light that he is. Now, essence cannot be removed from us. I taught about essence on one of my YouTube sh- uh, streamings, right? Um, now, generational defilement, as well as the individual sin, can represent a rather immersed pile of toxic waste, but that never changes the reality that at the core of the person is the light of God, Yahweh, and it is fantastic in its essence. For highly troubled soul, knowing that the fingerprint of God, Yahweh, is still visible on the spirit is hugely validating. Now, at times, we may also speak to the issue of authority, explaining to the spirit that it was designed by God, Yahweh, to walk in dominance over the soul and flesh. Even if this has not happened in the person's life, it does not change God, Yahweh's original design for that spirit. Now, the spirit was designed to lead, and it needs to know that. Some people's spirits can be so dormant because of sin, because of the flesh, and and, and, it, and the spirit has been made weakened, it has been dormant, um, it, it, it hasn't been strengthened, it's not eating any words of God, the spirit is salmon. The spirit is starving because that person is not reading the word of God. That spirit is also starving for praise because we're made to praise God. God puts musical instruments in us. Whether you can sing or not, play a, a tune or not, play a instrument or not, write a lyrics or not, you know, write a hook or whatever, we all have musical notes in us, you know. And we may we may not sound so good to each other, but we'll sound so good to God, right? Um. So your spirit is created to praise God. So your spirit also have a famine in it from not praising God, you know. Your spirit is made to commune with God. So if this person is not communing with God, not being intimate with God, not talking to God, not praying to God, then this spirit is starving. It's in a famine mode, and it's looking for help. So now, introducing the spirit. The primary purpose of introducing the spirit is for it, for the spirit to understand the breadth of, of its latent ability, its latent power. The Holy Spirit is the latent power. So now, think of like a seven-year-old child, you know, that knows how to get around the house and the neighbors. He knows how to play and to relate to his peers and his family. He has the mental capacity to learn how to read, but he does not know it. I was in the store yesterday. I was standing in line, and these cute little kids, you know, two of them was in a shopping cart, and the oldest one was holding the shopping cart so that, you know, they wouldn't fall out. And then the little boy, he was as cute as he wanted to be. He was two years old, but he was too smart. He kept dropping dropping this paper he was playing with because I didn't know, unbeknownst to me, everybody else had done picked up the paper for him, and they were over it, right? <laughs> so here I come. He drops the paper like three times purposely so I could pick it up, and he starts laughing, right? So the last time I gave it to him, I said, let me tell you something, young man. You know, you cute and all, but a sister's not picking up that paper anymore. I said, if you drop that paper again, I'm not picking it up, right? He plays with it for a little while. He drops it. Right, everybody's standing in line, and I looked at him and, and I said to him, I said, you know, I'm not picking it up. I told you if you drop it a, a fourth time, I'm not picking it up. 
do you know, as cute as he is, he turned his little head and gave me this look and then pointed down to the paper. I fell out. <laughs> Everybody was cracking up. I was like, did you see what he just did? And then he did it again. He rolled his head to the side, hit the sweetest little innocent face, looking me directly in my eyes, and then points to the paper. I was like, you know what? I'm not getting it. <laughs> so I'm using him as an example, and that's how a person's spirit is. They're looking at you like, help me. <laughs> you know, they're giving you this innocent look because they need help. You know, it's like they're begging you. They're like, the soul and the spirit won't let me rule like I'm supposed to. I need help, right? So now, the... um. The genetic ability will be wasted until someone explains to him that he is capable of learning how to pick those things up himself. Now, see, he could have been pulled out of the cart, put on the ground because he can walk, and teach him how to pick up that paper. So now, you begin to instruct the uh, spirit. You begin to give the spirit a skill, right? Um, You begin to alliterate with the spirit, you know, um, and you... When you start talking with the spirit, you illuminate the light of God in that spirit. Now, the central truth about the spirit is that it was designed by God to heal and nurture the soul. This happens when the spirit is legitimized and comes to a place of dominance, right? So the soul was not meant to rule. The spirit was. So now by by directing the spirit, we mean telling it, you know, what I'm telling you is to tell the spirit what to do. Other than telling the person's spirit to seek direction from the Holy Spirit, you know, I recommend not being that directive. It is too easy to fall into witchcraft control, and when we often cannot see the bigger picture that God has for timing and sequence of events in our lives. Um, I'll give you an example. When, um, you know, when you when a person is legitimizing the person's spirit, you know, you will tell the spirit that it, that it was made to be in dominance over the soul, right? You would then take charge, right? And God knows when the person will be ready for such an upheaval in the inner world. It does not have to take place at the same time, but we are not the ones to determine when that time is. God will let you know. The Holy Spirit will let you know. After explaining the proper positioning to the spirit, you could say something like, God will help you grow and develop in his time. He will tell you when and how to initiate the changes to make things right. So the next time you go out there and you evangelize or you, you know, want to talk to somebody that, you know, may be a family member or something and you you're trying to you're trying to legitimize their soul, that's one way of talking to them. You just come up to them and tell them, you know, God loves you. God is the light of you. God made you in three parts. He made you astral spirit first. Then he made you in the flesh of your mother's womb, and then he infused your soul in the womb, and then your astral spirit came within and messed with your soul and spirit. You became the spirit man or spirit woman. So, and God allowed your spirit man to be the one to rule. So I call forth your spirit man. You can actually say this. I call forth your spirit man to hear what the word of the Lord is saying. And then the spirit man will abruptly come forth. Because people don't realize the word of God is what gives the spirit man the strength to overpower 
the soul and your bio body, which is biology. Your th- your third your second part of your body is biology. You actually, it's the flesh first, then the soul, then the spirit, right? But your spirit is really first, although the spirit comes in last. So spirit is first because everything has to be prepared for the spirit to be able to come in, right? So all you do is say, I call your spirit forth with the word of God. And people need to realize that the word of God is what strengthens the spirit, is what brings the spirit, you know? So, you know, next time you, you're talking to someone about God, you can just easily explain to them how God made them, how they became in the womb. And you can explain to them that it's three parts of them, but the spirit is the one that rules. You can let them know that the soul is intertwined with the spirit within the belly, behind the navel, right? And that is, and that's the only entrance that any enemy could come in and go out seven ways. And then you tell them that your spirit is the candlestick, the the the, the, the uh, candlelight of God, and say, I call your spirit forth to hear the word of the Lord, and that spirit will come. And overpower that soul and that flesh. And you'll be able to get to that person's spirit. And even if you don't get them that day to come to God, you're planting a seed in the spirit. You're giving the the spirit some food. And trust me, that spirit will cultivate that seed because that spirit is hungry. And it's not going to let that seed go because they know that's the seed of God. It's the word of God. That seed is never going to disappear. That seed is going to grow. Then somebody else may come and water it and give it more. Then next Yah may come, Yeshua may come, or the Holy Spirit may come. And before you know it, that person's with God. Or maybe the first time you talk to them, that the, the, their spirit is so famished and hungry, it will, it will, it will have the soul in the flesh commit to God right then and there. Right then and there. All right. So now, the scripture clearly reveals that we have a human spirit, and that God created our human spirit for us to contact Him, as I said earlier. And John three six. The Lord Yeshua Jesus said, that which is born in the spirit is the spirit. In this verse, there are two spirits. It is easy for us to understand that the first spirit must be God's spirit, but without the second spirit. The second spirit in this verse is our human spirit, and our human spirit is born of the Lord. All right? So I just wanted to iterate that part. Now, since we have three lives, like I just explained to you, your spiritual bio body and your soul, by what life should we live? By the biological life, by the soulish life, or by the divine life? Like I told you earlier, it should be the divine life, the spirit. Now, we are used to living by the soulish life, but now we need to live by the divine life in our spirit. See, most people live by their soulish life first, and then when they get redeemed by the Messiah, then they learn how to uh, live through their divine life, which is the spirit. Now, if we do not know our spirit, we cannot live by divine life. We all need to know our spirit. Every man needs to know their spirit man. Every woman needs to know their spirit woman. This divine life has been installed into our spirit. If we need to turn on the light, we go to turn the switch on in our houses. So what we need today is to test the switch of our spirit because the divine life is in our spirit. Nothing can be more clear or defined than 2 Timothy verse 4.22. The Lord be with your spirit. 2 Timothy verse 22. The Lord be with your spirit. Now, we do not have to go to other places. We need to come to our spirit. We are used to going 
to other places. Even when we come to church meetings and, and brothers and sisters say hallelujah, amen, praise God, glory, sometimes we would not go to the spirit. We will we, we still would keep ourselves in the mind. We may even question, do the brothers and sisters need to be so loud and noisy? Or some people look at them and say they're being fake. Let somebody get the Holy Spirit running around the church. Oh, they say. So how are you going to go to your spirit and bring your spirit man out? You operating in your mind, which is your flesh. Now, this is a strong proof that we are used to being outside of our spirit. We are used to being in the mind. But we must turn ourselves to the spirit. Forget about how loud and noisy your brother is. Stop thinking they're faking. If they're faking, they're faking. It's not for you to sit there trying to analyze, wasting your time when you should be praising your God because you got problems and issues yourself. Now, you have to exercise your spirit. When you get into your spirit, you may be louder. The problem is that we Christians, Elohim children, would not turn to the very spot where God is, where God is today. The Lord be with your spirit. Now, if somebody's getting loud in the church, right, praising God, you know, just just cutting up, right? <laughs> the spirit doesn't hit them. They run around the church. Chances are their spirit done tapped into the Lord. But you sitting there judging them and analyzing them. Chances are you operating in your mind, which is your flesh, and your spirit is dormant, craving to be just like that person that's running around the church. Now, in Matthew 28, 20, there's a great promise given to us. The Lord Yeshua Jesus promises to be with us until the end. The consumption of this age, this is one of the great promises in the Bible. He is with us to the end of ages. Where is he with us? He is with our spirit. Everything we need is in our spirit. The divine life is in our spirit, exhaustible, immersible. Light is in our spirit. We have the divine life within us, which is just God, Yahweh himself in spirit. We have the latent power. If, if the Ruach is dwelling in your spirit, because if you grieve the Ruach, the Ruach will not be in your spirit. This is God himself after incarnation, crucifixion, Resurrection and ascension. When Yah, you know, was buried for three days and came back up, well, first he was crucified, right? Then he was reincarnated. Then he was resurrected. He stayed on this earth for 16 months. And with all the people he brought up from Shoel, they stayed here too as a witness to seeing the power of God. And then they ascended to heaven. Today, this very God comes into us to be with us in our spirit with the incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. This is why we're reincarnated over and over and over again until we get it right, until there's no spots on us. You were up there on that cross with him. You was on that cross with him before you even were born. You also resurrected before you were even born. You even ascended before you were even born. Because if we fell, it was a great fall in the heavens. Somebody had to come here and die for us and shed their blood so it could go into the earth and so so that God's blood can replace 
the serpent bloodline and, and the Poseidon bloodline and the Olympian bloodline and the Isis bloodline and the Anaki bloodline and the giant's bloodline. Somebody's blood had to come and wipe their blood out, right? But what happens is their blood is not wiped out until you accept the Messiah with your own mouth, through your heart, not just your mouth. It has to be in your heart. And you have to be redeemed and restored and receive your salvation. And then you have to learn about these other non-human bloodlines, and you have to renounce them, cancel them out, void them out, cut the covenants, cut the covenants, cut the soul ties, cancel the soul ties, release them from their assignments, take away their legal rights, their legal bonds, their legal areas, you know, the vows that could have been made by your ancestors, the agreements, the altars, all kinds of stuff. You have to do it with your mouth. So you can be clean. And when you do that, you reascend. You may still be on the earth, but you have ascended to heaven because God said we rule in the heavenly places. We have a king and queen's chairs ruling in the heavenly places next to God. So how can you rule in heavenly places and still be walking on this earth? Because you've been reincarnated, you've been crucified, you've been resurrected, and you have ascended. When you accept the Messiah, you go through all of these things like him, you'll spare the sins. And you're sitting on the throne with your God. But yet you're here ruling, like it says, you will in the Bible. Y'all walked the earth for 16 months. He was ruling here and ruling in the heavens. Now he rules from the heavens and he rules from the earth. He rules from the universe. He rules from the omniverse. He rules everywhere. He's king. Now we need to turn to the spirit, right? We need to learn. I did a good uh, teaching the other day that God had me to do on my YouTube channel. It's called Prophetic Voice of the Ministry channel on YouTube. Uh, it was not the video I did yesterday. It was the one before that. You really need to go and, and listen to that. It will really help you understand, understand a lot of stuff that you have questions about. Now, we need to turn to the Spirit. We need to be strong in the Spirit. We need to act and walk in the spirit because it is here that we have God, Yahweh, and Yeshua HaMashiach, King Jesus Christ of Nazarene, and the Holy Spirit and the divine life. The soul life and the biological life, which is your fleshy body along with your soul, are secondary. Although the biological body was built first in the mother's womb, right, that the, uh, the placenta, that's why it has flesh and blood and all that stuff in it because that's how God started creating you in the first place, your body. And then as your body's being created, he sees sending your soul and it's moving in that flesh, right? Here comes your actual man, which is your spirit. So the spirit came last, but the spirit is first. Remember the God says in the Bible, those that are last will be first, and those that are first will be last. Well, the flesh was first, the soul was second, your astral body, which is your spirit, was last. But in the heavens, and now once you come to God, your spirit is first, okay? Then the flesh is second, and then the soul is third. You get it? Now, we have the divine life, which is God himself. This is not God, Yahweh, before incarnation or Yeshua before incarnation, but Yeshua after ascension. The very God with his incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension is within us as our life. All the day we should turn ourselves to the dear one by calling on God's name. Romans 10, 12, 13. 
Romans 10, 12, 13, we will see the riches, we will see the sweetness, and we will see the refreshment, we will see the power, even the authority. The human spirit is the strategic point for the inner life. We all have to know our human spirit. How can you have your spirit within your cocoon and you don't even know your spirit? This is why the enemy knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows our spirit. He has talked with our spirits before. He has fraternized with our spirits. He has ruled over us before he fell. He knows us all. Every time we reincarnate, he knows us all. Why? Because he knows our spirit. Why does he know our spirit better than we know it? Because we don't know our spirit. I mean, I'm learning minds. But the average person does not know their spirit. Maybe out of 100%, maybe 15, 10% of the world may know their spirit to a certain point in learning. But the majority of people in the church, and they clap and stomp and hoo-hoo and all that, don't know their spirit man at all or spirit woman at all. How can you be a spirit and a cocoon body with a soul and not know your spirit? It is here that we have been born again. And it is here that we worship God, Yahweh. God is the spirit, and Yeshua is the spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the spirit. Those who worship the Elohim Godhead must worship in spirit. John 4, 2, 4. So why do you think God tells us in John 4, 2, 4 we must worship him in spirit? Because you are spirit first, you are flesh second, and you are third a soul. God don't come down with the soul, although he created it. He don't come down with the flesh, although he created it. But he communes with the spirit. It says in the Bible, he lights a candle in your spirit so that his light can be within your spirit. It doesn't say nothing about he light a candle in your flesh and your soul. It says your spirit. You ever heard that expression? Somebody murder children, do heinous things, and you hear them say, oh, that person has no soul. They are soulless beings. We all know who are woke, that there's Lee clones among us, some famous people, neighbors, you know, and you look at these famous folks, or you look at certain people, you're like, they have no soul. They have no conscience. You're absolutely right, because, Without a soul, you can't have a conscience. Without a soul, you can't have emotions. This is why you need a soul. But see, when you were God and your spirit, you don't need a soul. You don't need it when you were God. When you die and not on this earth no more, you make it back home to God. You don't got to come back again. There's no need for a soul because you are 100% spirit in God. But there's a need for a soul on the earth because you're in the flesh. This is why your soul is intertwined secondly with your flesh because that lies your conscience and your emotions. And this is why the Holy Spirit has to guard the soul because she gives it light and power and protection from the enemy because the enemy can enter in the soul because the soul is of a fleshy being. The soul was committed to the flesh first, then the spirit. And the enemy knows this. So this is why he gets in the soul, because he knows he can't get in the spirit, but he can break the spirit. He can shatter the spirit. He can overpower the spirit through the soul and the flesh. And he can hollow it out 
and he can break it. He can fragment it. Now, not in the Holy Spirit, but in our human spirit, in our reborn human spirit, we worship God, Yahweh. We worship God. We serve God. We fellowship with God, with one another, and we grow in life. We even have the church life here. If we are not in the spirit, we cannot have the church life. The church life is a life absolutely in the human spirit. When we turn to the spirit, you are one with God, and you are one with yourself, and you are one with the rock and the Messiah. Regardless of how much we talk about the church life, we are still not in it unless we turn to our spirit. When we turn to our human spirit, we are in the church life. Many people go to church, they look at their cell phones, they're texting on their cell phone. Instead of having the cell phone off or leaving it in the car, they get a phone call, they leave the church in the middle of the man of God or woman of God praying or preaching. Um, they talking to each other when the choirs are worshiping, when they should be worshiping with the choirs, when the pastor's preaching, they talk, you know, they're in their minds, they're in their flesh. But when you're in the presence of God, whether you're in because the, the building's not church. We all know the building is not a church, okay? It's an empty building, right? It's not a church to the souls come in the church, right? And if those souls are not right, God is not going to be there. Nor is the rock or the Holy Spirit. Do you know the angels show up in the church before the souls do if it's a true church of God? Because they sit there to see who's going to come on time. Whoever comes on time gets blessed. But if that's not a church of God, ain't no angels going to be in there. You know what I'm saying? So how can you go to church, sit on your cell phone, text, you know, put it on vibrate, get a phone call, you you, you put your finger up, like, excuse me, you know, walking out to church, the man of God, woman of God, preacher, friend, whatever, whatever, you know, the choir singing, but you 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 supposed to be singing in the spirit too, but you sitting there and you talking, you know what I'm saying, or you texting, you know, man of God is preaching, right, but you busy looking at your iPad, your iPhone, what kind of stuff is that? You're supposed to be in the spirit. You are not just you're not just dishonoring that man or woman of God. You're dishonoring God, the Ruach, Yeshua, and the heavenly house. Cause the very things that you're doing, you do all day long. Before you come to church, you got your phone tied to your ear. Before you come to church, you're talking. Before you come to church, you're texting. Before you come to church, you on the internet. So why would you go to church? You gotta do all this crap in the church. It's for God. It's for God. It really is for God. And people are not in the spirit, in the church anymore. They're in the mind. Satan has people so busy with technology. We got to catch ourselves. Sometimes I purposely leave my phone in the other room. There's sometimes I left it in the house, not intentionally, and I'll be like, oh, man, I left my cell phone. I'll be like, oh, well. And I'll go back and get it because it ain't tied to my hip. It's not tied to my hip. You know, but we get so enthused and enthrust in this technology, it is distracting us from God. And by this technology being built and given to us, it is keeping us in our minds. It is keeping us in our flesh. And it is keeping us from not being in the spirit. It is distracting us from being in the spirit of God. It is keeping us in the mind, in the flesh. Why? Because Satan is in the mind. Satan is in the flesh. 
Satan is through the soul, but God is in the spirit. He don't want you to be in the spirit with God. So he's going to keep you in the mind, therefore keeping you in the flesh, therefore keeping you in your soulish body, preventing your spirit from coming out of the corridor and coming in first. Now, you can meditate on these scriptures on your own, Genesis 27, Proverbs 20:27, Job 32:8, Exodus 35:21, Numbers 14:24, Deuteronomy 2:30, Ezra 1:1, Haggai 5, um, chapter 1, verse 14, Jeremiah 51:11, Job 6:4, uh, Job 10:12, Job 15:13. Psalms 31.5 and 32.2, 3418, 5110, 7, 7, 3, 6, Isaiah 29:24, Ecclesiastes 7 verses 8 and 9, Daniel 5:12, Daniel 6:3, and Malachi 2:15 to 16. You can uh, meditate on them on your own about the human spirit in the Old Testament. Now, the verses I just gave you are the most precious and most important verses in the Old Testament regarding the human spirit from Genesis 2 through Malachi 2. It is interesting to note that the first verse refers to the creation of the human spirit, while the last verse in the Old Testament regarding the human spirit exhorts us to take heed to our spirit. Now, we should not just take heed to our outward behavior, but we have to take heed to our outward spirit because our human spirit is the very source of all our behaviors. If we are wrong in the source regardless of how we write, we might be in a behavior we are still wrong in. So if the source is dirty, then how could the issue be clean? It is impossible. So we all have to take heed to our human spirits. These verses should how these verses show how strategic, how important, and how prevailing in this matter of our human spirit. Now, the breath of life. Genesis two seven unveils the creation of man. God Yahweh used the dust of the ground to form a body. Then God breathed, breathed into the nostril of this body of dust the breath of life. Proverbs 20, 20 verse 27 says, The spirit of man is the lamp of, of, of God, searching all the innermost parts. The Hebrew word for spirit in this verse is the very word for breath in Genesis 2-7. The word commonly used in Hebrew for spirit is ruach. But here in Proverbs 20:27, 20, the Hebrew word for spirit is um, uh, nesh, nesh, it's, 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 I can't pronounce this Hebrew word. It's Nashama, N-E-S-H-A-M-A-H, right? This is the same word used for breath in Genesis 2-7. This verse is a strong word to prove that the breath of life, which was breathed up into the nostrils of man's body of dust at the time of creation, is our spirit. Job 32, 8 tells us also that there is a spirit in man and in woman. Now, Proverbs 20, 27. The spirit of man is the lamp of God for searching our innermost parts. For God's dealing with us. God dealing with us is always in our spirit and through our spirit. Our human spirit is the means and the organs for God, Yahweh, to deal with us, to search us. If you come at night into a building to do something, you cannot do it in darkness. You need light. 
Our human spirit is a lamp to God for him to come in to search us, to deal with us. So now, if you're not a, uh, a child of God, your spirit, you have a lamp, but it has no oil and it has no light. But God can still see within your body because God is full of light. So whatever light you're missing and whatever light you don't have, he's illuminated. So he can bright up, he can light up anything, and he can see straight through you. Now, in Exodus 35:21, during the time when the tabernacle was going to be built up, the people's spirit made them willing. Not only did their heart move them, but also their spirit prompted them to go on in a fast way to fulfill God's purposes. This shows that our human spirit is an organ for us to go on to fulfill God's purpose. Zechariah 12:1. And Isaiah 42.5 are very similar to one another. They tell us that in the whole universe there are three main things created by God, the heavens, the earth, and the human spirit. That includes the animals and stuff too, flowers, whatever. Now, so these two verses show us the importance of the human spirit. In the heavens there are many items. On the earth there are many items. But God did not itemize those things. God just refers to the heavens and the earth as human beings. We also have many parts, but God did not say anything about all the parts of our body or the parts of our soul. God spoke of only one thing, the spirit of man. This shows the importance of our human spirit because our human spirit is an organ and the means for God to contact us and to deal with us and for us to contact him and to receive him. Now, a different spirit. At the time of Numbers 14.24, Numbers 14.24, most of the Israelites were quite rebellious toward God. But Galeed was different. He did not have a different mind, a different will, a different heart, or a different decision. Caleb had a different spirit, as it says in verse 24. This says that Caleb fully followed the Lord. We have no other way to follow the Lord. If we are going to follow the Lord, we have to use the proper organs, our human spirit, Galeed followed the Lord by a different spirit, which was different from all the other spirits. Deuteronomy 2.30 says that God heartened the spirit of Sihon the king, I mean Siho the king. It does not say that God hardened his heart, but his spirit. God dealing with man is always through the spirit. Even he allows a person to be hardened in the spirit. So in the Bible, it says how God hardened his, his heart and how he hardened fair parts. Why would God, I, I, we know this Bible, you know, was trans, transferred from the um, the scrolls, right? And we know that when that happens, truth gets missing, twisted, mixed up, words get missing, other words get replaced, right? So in the Bible, in a couple of spirits, it says God dealt with Pharaoh's heart. And, you know, I believe one spirit says God deals with the heart. okay. Ask yourself this. Why would God deal with your heart when God is spirit? All through the Bible, he says he is a spirit. All through the Bible, he says you must come to him in spirit. You must deal with him in spirit. You must pray with him in spirit. You must worship with him in spirit. So why would God deal with somebody's heart? Even I was mistaken to say the same thing because I didn't know any better. But now God is teaching me so I can be corrected as well as others. He doesn't really deal with us in our heart. He deals with us in our spirit. So when he deals with us in our spirit, our spirit man comes forth out of the corridor, not famished anymore, but full of the word of God, full of the seeds of God, 
full with the light of God, full with the oil of God. And therefore, the spirit man can rule the fleshy body, which is the bio, which is connected to your brain and your five senses and your heart. And your soul has no, no choice or recourse but to submit to the spirit. So it is not the heart. God deals with. And like, you know, when you tell people you should smoke, you should drink, you should fornicate, you should wear them skirts up your booty, you know, those men with those glistering tight tank shirts on making women less, the fake hair, the fake this, the fake that, people be like to me, but apostle, God deals with the heart. No, boo. He doesn't deal with your heart at all. He deals with your spirit man and your spirit woman and then your spirit man and spirit woman deals with your heart and removes the stony stones which are the demons along with the latent power of the Holy Spirit because when the latent power which is the fire of the Ruach is entered into you, no demon can stand it unless the Ruach allows it for the purpose of God's mysterious reasons. So, if God is dealing with you in spirit, all that fake stuff you wear, fornication, drinking, God ain't dealing with you. Because the spirit of God don't deal with sin. That's Satan dealing with you, convincing you that God don't mind that stuff. Mm. Devil tricky. Now, in Ezra 1.1 and Ezra 5, which is one of the lost books of the Bible, I believe it's three Ezra's. You can find those in the Sita, and I believe maybe online. Now, at the time of God's recovery of his people back to Jerusalem, God stirred up the spirit of Cyprus, the king of Persia, and stirred up the people in their spirit. This again shows that God is dealing with us through the spirit, right? Does not say that God stirred up the heart of the king of Persia because the recovery altogether was God's dealing, and this dealing was absolutely in the spirit. On the one hand, God stirred up the king's spirit. On the other hand, God stirred up the captive spirit. That something could be worked out for God's recovery. Why do you think they put in the Bible that God deals with your heart? To keep you in the flesh. You know the Roman papacy rewrote the Bible. Come on now. You know that. And when when uh, King, uh, uh, what's his face? Uh, King James, he was the second one to write the Bible. There was another man that wrote the Bible in the 1560s, right? And then the, they killed that man. They got rid of him. And they, they hung him. And they abolished the Bible. Then here come King James. He was rich. He hired 50 different scribes of different, 50 different languages to translate that Bible. And the Roman papacy couldn't do anything about King James at all. They couldn't get rid of a nuts. You know what they did? They said, let us come up with our own version. It's the Greek version. That's the defiled version. And they changed everything. So Satan wants you to think that God deals with you in your heart because Satan wants to keep you in your heart. Why does Satan want to keep you in your heart? Because if he keeps you in your heart, he keeps you in your mind, he keeps you in your soul, he keeps you in your flesh because he can only deal with you in your flesh. See, he can't deal with you in your spirit. Why? Because your spirit is God. Everybody on this earth, I don't care how wicked you are, your spirit is God. And so when the devil is dealing with a witch or the devil is made a contract with some famous person, he ain't dealing with the spirit. He's dealing with the soul because he can't deal with the spirit. All he can do is hollow out the spirit. He can blacken the spirit. He can cover the spirit. He can break it. He can, he can put it in fragments. He can wound it, but he can't deal 
he has to get the soul, the heart, and the mind to deal with him. And that's where he sits on your seat, which is your pinino, where your glory seat is. Now, Haggai 114 refers to the same thing. God stirred up the spirit of Zababel, the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnants of the people for the completion of the building of Ezra. That's in Ezra 1. Now, Ezra 1 tells us about the beginning of the recovery, but Haggai tells us about the continuation of the recovery. The beginning and the continuation of recovery were altogether matters in the spirit. So then how about today's recovery? Surely it could never be something outside of our spirit. It must be something absolutely in our spirit. If God, Yahweh, is going to recover his church in so many localities, surely you and I must have our spirit stirred up by God. Now, Jeremiah 51, 11 and 12 says, Also the Lord stirred up the spirit of the kings of the Medes, because his purpose is against Babylon to destroy her. This is the vengeance of the Lord, even the vengeance for his temple. Babylon destroyed God's temple. Now, God stirred up the spirit of the kings of Medes to destroy Babylon. That was the king of vengeance. God rendered upon Babylon. The vengeance of his temple, though we are not like the kings of the Medes, God still has to stir us our spirit up for the destruction of Babylon and for the vengeance of his temple of all this is the spirit. So God is building our spirit up to destroy the governmental system, the maritime law, the marine law, the water law, which governs over the land because it's 72% water and 28% land. So you have marine time law, you have admiral law, you have what the water laws supersede the earthly laws. So God is telling us that the government of Babylon is in the water, which is the marine kingdom, and it's on the land, which is what Lucifer showed our Messiah, right? So God's children who are here today, we are helping him to destroy this governmental maritime system. But they are giving us a hard time. They're trying to stop us out. They're passing all these fleshy laws. They're passing all, passing all these mind laws. They're passing all these heart laws. They're passing all these soulish laws. You know, so they're making it hard for us. You know, they're trying to stop us out. They're trying to oppress us. You know, they want to kill us. They want to get rid of us. And they're trying to make our own brothers kill us. You know, because they can't do it themselves. So they want to try and bring their brothers to kill us. You know, if they can't make you sin, they're going to bring your brothers against you and make you sin. So that they can come in for the kill, right? So we are the children, like God raised the kings of me to destroy Babylon. We are like the kings of me. God is stirring us up to destroy the new Babylonian system, which is all over the whole world. Now, Job 6-4 tells us that to Job's realization, what he suffered was not just something outward, but something inward in his spirit. According to our spiritual experiences, Job 6.4 is rather deep. The deep call of the deep. Job says, the arrows of the Almighty are in me, the poison of which my spirit drinks up. This verse shows that although all the suffering which happened to Job were outward, he realized that God was dealing with him, not just outwardly, but inwardly. God's dealing with him was not just something outward it, in his surroundings, but something inward, deep in his spirit. Job had the spirit of fear. 
because when he lost his children, his wealth, the cattle, he said, the, the thing that I feared the most has come upon me. He feared losing his beautiful children because his children were the most beautiful in the land. He was the most richest in the land, and he had more cattle than anybody. So these are the things he feared. So this is why Satan was able to afflict him. Afflict him. Do you think Satan could really just go to God and say, God, I want to afflict Job because, you know, he, he thinks he all faithful and stuff, and I just want to prove to you he ain't faithful. Why does God have to allow that, allow that stink environment, Lucifer, Satan, prove anything to him? He's God. Lucifer pointed out the fear of Job, which was going against God. God says, fear not, for I'm God. So he was able to afflict Job. God was allowing Satan to afflict him on the outside, but God was dealing with Job on the inside. So when we catch demons, when we catch stuff, we have no business catching because we were sinning or we were afraid. The devil is dealing with you on the outside, but God is dealing with you on the inside. You may feel the demons afflicting you on the inside, but it is God dealing with you on the outside. The demons are afflicting the flesh and the soul. John ten twelve says, you have granted me life and loving kindness. This means that God has granted Job to live and to enjoy so many good things in addition. Your visitation has preserved my spirit, Job said in Job ten twelve. Have you ever realized God's visitation upon you? Job fifteen thirteen says, you turn your spirit against God. All these verses show us that the relationship and the fellowship between us and God is absolutely a matter in our spirit, not in our hearts, not in our soul, not in our flesh. See, we need our heart to pump the blood, you know, because we're in the flesh, right? We need our mind because it holds the conscience and it holds your subconscious and unconscious and conscious mind. You need a soul because it, it, it adapts to actually the seven senses you have, but the two other senses are hollowed out. You don't get the latent sense until the uh, ruach comes back, and you don't get that sixth sense, which is your fourth eye, until you get right with God, right? So, 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 you needed that soul to survive. You need that heart to breathe and let the blood flow through to the brain, okay? And everybody has a conscience because God has a conscience. And that very conscience that you have is what God is going to use to judge you. And that is what God uses now to judge you and in the afterlife. Psalm 31.5 says, into your hand I commit my spirit. Why did Yeshua say on the Calvary, Lord, I commit my spirit? He didn't say I commit my heart. He didn't say I commit my soul. He did not say I commit my body, which is my bio body. He said I commit my soul, my spirit. Why did he say that? Because he knows his father only dealt in spirit. Remember that this is a word spoken in the Old Testament by our Old Testament saints and our Messiah. Have you, as a New Testament saint, ever said something like, I commit my soul into your hand? I know I have. You didn't say, God, I commit my, well, some people might have said, I commit my heart, my soul, which is fine. If you want to say, I commit my heart, my body, soul, and spirit, because I do it all the time, that's fine. But all you really got to say is, God, I commit my spirit to you, because once you commit the spirit to God, all else follows. All else follows. The flesh was, the flesh and the soul was made for your spirit to live. Your spirit was not made for your soul and fleshy body to live. Your soul, your fleshy body and your soul was made purposely and 
especially for your spirit. Mostly we say we commit our hearts unto God's hands. Psalm 32, 2 says, Blessed is the man in whose spirit there is no deceit. He ain't saying heart. He said spirit. Psalm 32, 2. Again, all this portrays clearly that the fellowship and the relationship between us and God is absolutely in the spirit. In Psalm 34, 18, excuse me, in Psalm 34, 18, there is a contract spirit. In Psalm 51, 10, a steadfast spirit. In Psalm 51, 12, there is a willing spirit. In Psalm 51, it's a prayer of David. In verse 10, he says, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Then in verse 12, he says, restore to me the gladness of your salvation and sustain me with, the, with a willing spirit. Then in verse 17, David says, is a broken spirit. Psalm 51 shows us a contrite spirit, a steadfast spirit, a willing spirit, and a broken spirit. Nothing about a heart or soul. Psalm 773 says, I complain and my spirit thanks. Verse 6 says, I remember my song in the sight. I muse with my own heart and my spirit carefully searches. The psalmist muse with his own heart, but his spirit carefully searches in the presence of God. Psalm 78 says that the spirit of the children of Israel was not faithful to God. We need a faithful spirit to God. We do not only need to make up our mind or have a strong will, but we need to have a faithful spirit to God. This is why many people fail at being redeemed, because their heart wants to be faithful. Even the mind may want to be faithful. But the spirit, if the spirit is not faithful, then the person is going to wind up falling, because their faithfulness, their operating is in the soul, it is in the heart, and it is in the mind. So you're operating in the bio part of you, which is the flesh, which is not what really communes with God. It is the spirit that communes with God. So if your spirit is not faithful to God, you're going to fall. So this is why many people fall back into their old sins, or they leave God, they forget about God. You know, you're looking at them, because God helped me understand this. You're looking at them, like, Dad, what happened to them? They were so in love with God. You know, they was like on fire for God. Now you can't even talk to them about God. They want to argue with you and fight you. They don't want nothing to do with you no more. You don't even hear from a sister or brother no more. Because they done left God. How could they do that? Mm. Soul was, the spirit was never faithful from the get-go. It was the soul, the heart, the mind. And see, when you're operating in the flesh, there's no guarantee how long you're going to be faithful to God operating in the flesh. But if you're operating in the spirit, then you'll be faithful to God. No matter what, no matter whatever. This is why the enemy will hit you through your soul. This is why the enemy will hit you through your mind. It says the mind is the number one place he goes to. Because if he could get your mind, he got everything. Why is it that if he could get your mind, he gets everything? Because your soul is connected to your mind. Your five senses is in your soul and your mind. And your flesh is just a toy in the middle of them. So if he could get your head, see, you already got the interest in your soul. Because he got to get in your soul to get to your head. He can't send any arrows in your head until he doesn't send arrows in your soul. So what he does is that soul that 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 arrow penetrates up in the soul and it penetrates up in the mind and it gets it gets in your conscience it gets in your subconscious conscience get in your corridors where Yah is not at so therefore if you don't have the mind of Christ in your corridors of your mind and in your conscience then the enemy can shoot them arrows with poison and demons and words and whatever it is he want to do even when you straight with God even when you favor with God in your spirit because he already had access to your soul he don't want to give up he arrogant he think he come back again. So if he can't enter the soul because the soul is being uh, governed by the Ruach, he will deal with you from the air because he's the prince of the air. He will deal with you from the world because he's the God of the 
world. And how can he do that? He can only do it through the head. And if he can get a thought in your head, then he can penetrate the flesh, then he can penetrate the soul and get back in again. So this is why your spirit has to stay faithful to God 100%. 100%. 100%. if he can't directly get back in your soul, he will mess with your head to get an open door in there and then get through the soul and get back in. So this is why God said you must always worship in the spirit. You can't worship him any other kind of way. You must also always worship in the spirit. It's the only way. Because the more you worship in the spirit, the more you praise him in the spirit, the more oil he can give you, the more seeds he can give your spirit man. The more seeds and the more oil, the more stronger the spirit man can be. The more weapons the spirit man gets, the more wisdom, knowledge, revelation, and discernment. You get more blessings because you're dealing with God in the spirit. You're no longer trying to deal with him in your heart. You're no longer trying to deal with him in your uh, fleshy mind. You're no longer trying to deal with him in your soulish thoughts. You're only dealing with God in the spirit. And when you deal with God in the spirit, that's where your blessings, your miracle, when people get healed, it's because they dealt with God in their spirit. When God gives a prophet or a prophetess a word for a person, God is speaking to them spirit to spirit. He's not speaking to the flesh. He's not speaking to the mind. He's not speaking to the soul. He's speaking to the spirit. He's telling the spirit, this is what I have for you, baby. This is what Daddy Papa promises you, baby. But you've got to come up out the corridors. you got to come on front. you got to learn to take over the bio body. you got to learn to get control of the soulish ways so that the enemy cannot enter. You must allow me to fix you because the spirit is broken. You must allow me to unfragment the soul because the soul is fragmented. So if your soul is fragmented, that means your mind is fragmented. That means your body or body is fragmented. This is why people get sick, catch demons, catch all kinds of stuff, catch hell, H-E-L-L, because everything is fragmented. And only God can fix it. Can't no man or woman fix those type of things but God. This is why when someone prays for you, you can be praying, 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 and you don't get no breakthrough. Then a woman of God, man of God, come and they pray for you, and you can break through. Why? Because that person is solely dealing with God in the spirit. So because that person is dealing with God in the spirit, God will honor that person because they're dealing in the spirit of God. And because of your faith in God through that vessel, he will give you what you want. <clears throat> it's because you got faith in God through the vessel that you went to. And because he honors that vessel, because that vessel is dealing with him in his spirit, he's going to answer it. When God talks to a prophet or a prophetess who is, who is dealing with him in the spirit, Every prophecy just about he gives that prophetess a prophet will come to pass. Why? Because God is dealing with them in the spirit. There's no flesh involved. You can't have flesh involved. David was disobedient to God one time. He was good until he met Bathsheba, right? And then when he went through what he went through, although God cursed his lineage for 11 generations, right, he became faithful to God again, and he won God's heart back. And God blessed him beyond measures. Beyond measures. That's why he was like the richest king. No, he was, and then Solomon, his son, was next. This is why they were the two richest kings ever. 
because they were obedient. Then the word says that David was after God's own heart. No, David was after God's own spirit. God don't deal with us in the flesh, so therefore he can't deal with us in the heart. He can only deal with us in the spirit, and the spirit is what changes the heart. David chased after God's spirit. That's why God got the favor of God, because he dealt with God in the spirit. God tells us all through the Bible, you must deal with me in spirit. Psalms 100 says we must come to God in his gates with praise. Some people just go straight into prayer. Don't even praise God. Finish prayer. Don't even praise God. wonder why your prayers don't get answered. The apostle said that God will answer you quicker with praise than he would prayer. What's that telling you? Obviously, when you praise, your spirit comes from out of your out of the top of your head, and it goes up to the kingdom of God before him, and it praises him. You are praising him in spirit. So the next time you pray from now on, you need to praise God. If you forget to praise him in the beginning, praise him in the end, or praise him in the middle. But don't you get up out of your seat off the ground or however you pray. In the morning, afternoons, evenings, whatever, every time you pray, don't you get up or move without singing some type of song to him. I wouldn't care if it was for a minute. Because he loves praise. And the more you praise him, the more oil you build up in your bowl. The more fire you build up in your lamp and on the altar of God. The more defenses you you build against enemy. The more you make your pillar more fiery and the bigger and taller against the enemy. The enemy could be accusing you right now. But if you bust out a, a praise and you be like, God, I thank you for loving me. God. You know what I'm saying? 
Okay, so this is the end of the show. I will be teaching part two to this next week. I pray that many of you um, enjoyed this teaching. You learned a lot. You will pay more attention to your spirit, man. You'll start dealing with God more with your spirit instead of through your heart and your fleshy ways. You'll start dealing with God more. Pray and ask. I, I, I said a lot of good prayers on the YouTube at a prophetic mantle uh, uh, ministry um, YouTube channel, not the one I did yesterday, the day before. It has a lot of prayers in it to help you um, to get yourself clear, to get your soul clear, to get your spirit clear. And it even teaches you how to talk to your spirit. There's a prayer that I said um, that talks about the spirit. So please go check that show out. Um, it's not the one I did yesterday. It's the one I did Sunday. Uh, please listen to that. Great revelation in that, just like uh, you just got it from here. Okay? Uh, and, and, you know, ask God to help your, your spirit man, spirit woman to come out the corridors. You know, ask God to help you to, to, to get, teach your spirit man to rule, to lead like it's supposed to, and that the flesh is solidified. Because, see, the flesh is what makes the soul and the spirit war. If you get your flesh under control, the spirit has no problems getting the soul under control. And stop being distracted, you know. Leave your phones in the car when you go, if you got to go to church. You know, when you go in prayer, you know, like me, my phone is in my bedroom. You know, I, I, I sometimes I use it as a, um, what do you call it, a, um, I forget what you call it, you know, how you hold down the pages because I have my fan right there. <laughs> and then, you know, a, a Bible page is blowing everywhere, so I use my phone as a, a, a holder, you know. But, um, you know, sometimes I just have to turn the fan all the way down, and I just throw the phone on the bed. You know, or put it somewhere, you know, um, so so we won't be distracted. You know, put your phone on mute or turn it off, whichever one, you know, is set for you. You know, um, stop being so distracted. Spend some time with God, you know, on your lunch break. You know, don't be so quick to eat all the time. Go and talk to God for a minute. Then eat or, you know, eat in 15, 20 minutes. Take those last 10 minutes if you got 30 minutes. Go sit in your car or bathroom or whatever, you know, and talk to God. When you drive it home, you know, turn that music off. You know, I know you probably listen to gospel music. Turn it off and just be like, God, you know what? While I'm driving, I just want to hang out with you. I just want to talk to you. You know, Holy Spirit might put a song in your heart to sing while you're driving. You could drive and sing at the same time. Because if you could talk on a cell phone and drive or listen to the radio and sing, then you could sing to God while you're driving. You know, take as many opportunities as you can to speak with God in spirit because it's going to grow your spirit. It's going to grow your spirit. Take as much time and all opportunities as you possibly can to spend it with God. Washing dishes. Bust a, bust a song out. Or start talking to him. I can't tell you how many times I sit at my breakfast table and eat breakfast, and I'm discussing what God is eating my breakfast. I'm being for real with you. I be on the phone talking to people, talking to God. I'm on here talking to y'all, teaching y'all, talking to God. Take every opportunity you can to talk to God. Take every opportunity. Do not take your life lightly. Do not take your days lightly. Teach your children the same thing. You know, if you got spouses, that's wayward. You know. Just, just praise God, you know. Either he gonna, either they're going to come to him or they're not. But at least their blood won't be on your hands because you done did everything you did to bring them to, to, to God. Children, too. 
family members too. You know, if you have to, ask God to give your family members extensions on their lives. Give your children extensions on their lives. Give your spouse extension on his life. But don't say, God, give him three years, five, ten, fifteen years. Although the Bible says God gave fifteen years. God may want to give him twenty. You never know. So just say, God, you give them the years that you think they need, and you give them the time that they need to come to you. Because only God knows they're going to come. And if they're not going to come, God is not going to extend their time. God is just going to let them go. But if he sees them coming, but the enemy is going to try and preempt that and take them out, then God will extend their lives. And then you ask God, you say, God, thank you for extending their lives, and thank you for not letting a bone be broken on their body like you did the Messiah. Thank you that their mental health will never deteriorate. Thank you they will never get Alzheimer's or any time, any kind of mental illness while they're waiting on you. Thank you that they will never be homeless, that the vagabond spirit will never take them to the streets. Thank you that they will be a coordinate and they will stay with balance in the extension time that you gave them in Yeshua's name. I praise you for that. You have to say these things because the enemy could do anything to him, just like he did Joel. God said, you could do whatever you want to do, don't kill him. You can take his kids, take his wealth. So, see, you just ask him for extension. You got to ask for some more stuff. Because Satan, like, look, all they ask for extension. I can do whatever else I want to. So if you put all that other stuff in there, like, God, don't let the enemy kill their children to try and distract them. You know, God, don't make, don't let the enemy make them into a papa to distract them. Because, see, Satan, like, okay, God, what, God gave him five years? Okay, I could do a lot of damage in five years. I could, I could make them take themselves out in five years. I could distract them from God in five years and take them out. So you got to be specific with God when you're praying for your loved ones. you got to be specific. Be like, God, I pray for their redemption so that they can receive salvation. And I pray that they be faithful in their spirit so they can never fall again. you got to pray some serious prayers to God. you got to be specific because that enemy knows what you're praying. He knows that he may not can't hear you. You know, you could be speaking a tongue. He don't understand you, but he got strong senses. And he can look at their lives and say, wait a minute, I've been trying to kill so-and-so forever, and I can't. It must be an extension. And then God will tell them there is an extension. That Don't estimate Lucifer, because he's too smart. Don't, don't, remember, he was the fourth one after God, the Holy Spirit, and Yeshua. So, so don't underestimate Lucifer. And then Satan was fifth. So don't understand, don't 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 misunderstand them two entities because they two separate entities. That's why you only see Lucifer in Isaiah 14. He was the king over Tyson, and Satan is the principality under Lucifer. He, I believe he's Lucifer's son because everything in the Bible is precept upon precept, concept upon upon concept, and Satan can Satan has to emulate everything God did in order to bring the Antichrist up. Why does why does God call the Antichrist the son of position? The Antichrist is not the son of God. God don't have no sons that's the son of position, position. So it has to be Lucifer's son. And that's why Satan's going to be in the Antichrist, because Satan is the son of Lucifer, just like Yeshua is the son of God. The son of God was sent on the earth to save. The son of, uh, 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 of perdition, which is Antichrist, is sent on the earth to destroy it. Uh, you get it? When God told me that, I was like, wow, Daddy, that makes perfect sense. No wonder they only talk about Lucifer one time because they took him out. They don't want you to put the two or two together. It said Lucifer was once ruling on Tyson. Who else is on Mount Tyson? God. So why would Lucifer be on Mount, Mount Tyson? He had to be somebody very strong or somebody very close to God. Mm. Then it said Satan was on Mount Zion. It said Lucifer, the king of Tyson. The king of Tyson, Mount Zion. 
All right, so we'll talk next Tuesday. I bless you all for listening to Prophetic Mental Radio Show. I appreciate you. I thank God for you. I praise God that I was able to come on here and teach this, and we will talk again, same time, same channel. Praise be the Lord, we be here in Yeshua's name. Still with the bloody Yeshua. Shalom. This is not an ad. It's an invitation. Join Minister Rosalind Solomon each week on the new podcast, The Prophetic Mantle Radio Show. She talks about spiritual wellness and other inspirational subjects that will brighten up your day. Hey, and while you're at it, make sure you add her music to your playlist. Inspirational Music by Rosalind Solomon and The Prophetic Mantle Radio Show, Food for the Soul. Music and podcast now available on Spotify. Welcome to the Prophetic Mantle Radio Show with your host, Apostle Rosalind Solomon. Every Tuesday, 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, come learn the mystery of God and be blessed in Jesus' name.